0: Come back, come back, come back, come back, my second time. I'm here today to explore a fascinating new use of technology. The company is called Iconic, and the CEO, Alex Thaler, and his philanthropic advisor and, how do I say, entrepreneur and friend of mine, Adam Cummings, brought this to me on a phone call just to explore a couple weeks ago and I got so enthusiastic I I wanted to share it with our audience. So uh, Iconic is, in a nutshell, a way to efficiently connect people, owners, stockholders with the companies that they invest in across a whole spectrum of issues, making it easier have voice making the quality of voice better making how i say it's not like an all or nothing fight a continuous stream of communication can advise what you might call help the ceo of the companies that are owned to navigate through difficult waters so gentlemen thank you for being here today i look forward to exploring with you learning more and sharing this with the audience and hopefully inspiring an even more accelerated rate of implementation. I know you're off to a good start. Let's we'll start with Alex. Um, Alex, why did, where did this idea come from? What What inspired it? Why are you doing it?
1: Well, first of all, Rob, thanks so much for uh, inviting me here. I'm excited to get into this. Um, since you opened that can of worms, I'm going to tell a, a story that sort of maps out um, some of the problems in this space and, and how I got involved. So uh, if we rewind a couple of years back to twenty, late 2020, early 2021, uh, I was a, a software engineer at the time and uh, always curious about new technologies, and I decided uh, I needed to download Robinhood to see what all the fuss is about, right? I download the app, I buy some stock, and a few months later I get a uh, a notice, an email notice, and it's a shareholder ballot. It was my first that I had received, uh, and normally I would disregard these shareholder ballots, but um, there was something this one, Microsoft, that caught my eye, and it was a shareholder proposal uh, to try to limit the company's sale of facial recognition technology to governments and as sort of a, a, a tech nerd that that caught my eye and um, and i thought oh this is this is interesting and um, you know being slightly crazy i only had a few shares i decided you know what I'm going to pull on this thread a little bit i want to learn a little bit more because when you get the ballot you get a you get a one sentence um, summary of what these ballot items and that's that's not sufficient to be able to make an informed decision. So I go down the rabbit hole and I uh, decide I'm gonna I'm gonna find some more information and I I click to learn more and um, I get a taste of my first proxy statement. So for all of your viewers and listeners out there, uh, these are regulated documents that uh, companies file ahead of the annual general meeting for shareholders. And this one was about 93 pages long and just chock full of information, and some might say corporate gobbledygook. Um, But as I started to look through, I I noticed, well, this is, I noticed two things, really, that right now, there are people and organizations in the United States and around the world that are using these shareholder voting rights to try to push companies to change, to, to have them be more in alignment with their values and their preferences. And the second thing that I discovered is that um, the current system for shareholder democracy is hopelessly broken. So 88% of people aren't voting. Uh, 91% of institutions are voting. So there's this, this big mismatch and a big inefficiency in the system. And Rob, it's so a very that'd long-winded- So that would be something st-
0: like, what, what, let me just ask, when you say institutions, something like Vanguard or somebody who's running a state pension fund, but not individuals, Exactly.
1: Yeah. In in the corp, you know, in this area, there's sort of a difference between retail people like you and me that might buy shares individually, and then the institutional folks uh, that might be pension funds or uh, asset managers. So they, yeah, the asset managers are voting extensively. They vote frequently, and we can get into that in a minute about how they're voting. Uh, individuals do not. And the reason for that is uh, it is very difficult. As I kind of outlined for you, (laughs) there's this big knowledge gap, uh, and it's just very difficult if you own a lot of shares to actually voice your preferences and have a voice in these companies. And that that really inspired me. Everything else is basically just unfolding from that initial experience.
0: Hmm. And so you, from which Michael, being caught in that swamp and trying to figure out, How to influence robin hood you had a dream of how technology could address the challenge
1: well that's exactly right yeah so i I had the notion that um this is tech this is an issue that could be helped by uh, a technological solution and we just need to make it much much easier for people to vote and to have a say and we can make the investing experience much more richer by helping them voice their values and preferences across all of these really key issues of our time, right? We're talking about climate change, reproductive justice. Uh, we're talking about governance, diversity, equity, inclusion, and all, all of these very, very important issues that people don't have an opportunity right now to express themselves on.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. What? How does iconic work? Take us. I say, through the plumbing, talk about the different interfaces between you and the company, and how it's implemented, how it serves, which might call the preferences and desires of the investor, and, and how you keep, the, I say, the cost both of time to communicate, and the financial costs associated, either for the company or for the individual with making sure that communication is, which I might call, realized and digested.
1: Yeah, there, there's a couple different, um, I guess, use cases. And let me try to walk through sort of the easiest use case, which is just uh, an individual who owns some stock in a company, maybe they own two, two shares or a uh, hundred different shares, uh, and we're able to help them Uh, automatically vote their shares to match their values. And so the way that it works, they go onto our platform. Uh, They express their value set using a feature that we call VoteForge. Uh, VoteForge is a a system of adaptive microsurveys on different environmental, social, and governance topics. Uh, And this is is a very user-driven experience, right? The investor tells us what they feel about these issues. They don't have to do all of the surveys. Uh, after they've interacted with the system, we have created a customized voting profile for them. And so this is really the first technology to be able to do that at scale uh, and very quickly. Uh, the only remaining step after that is to start to arrange to re- automatically receive those uh, shareholder ballots, uh, what we call proxies. right? Um, and so right now we create a, a automated email forwarding rule so we can just get a copy of those proxies and then we can vote them. Uh, to match that value set. Now, just um, just so everyone's aware of this, um, ahead of the vote cutoff for any particular election, the user can go in and make any changes that they want to the auto voting scheme, right? So it's open, it's transparent. We let them fiddle with the dials, we let them have a voice, and it's there's no black box voting here. So it's it's very important part of our values and how we've created the product to make sure that it's open like that.
0: Well, I would imagine with what you might call the convenience and the shepherding that you do, that more and more people will, that number 88% is going to go, uh, how would I say, way down, 88% meaning those who don't vote, uh, if this is widely implemented. Do you experience resistance from companies or are they enthusiastic because they, uh, how I say, get fed? what people believe, what people desire, and uh, they don't get what I call surprise attacked.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've spoken with several companies and, um, and also uh, advisors to companies. And, um, you know, I, there's a lot of different companies out there and some are more retail facing and some are more uh, don't face retail. So I think there's a difference of opinion there about this. Um, but there is a, there is a, a sort of hunger uh, for understanding who their shareholders are. Um, and that connection right now is, is broken. Most companies do not know who their shareholders are. And they don't really have that mechanism to understand what their values are. Um, and so a lot of com- companies do struggle with that. They have these um, ESG, environmental initiatives, social initiatives, and, and they really do wanna be able to share that with their shareholders and, and they wanna get the feedback back, back from them. So we, we do see ourselves as helping to reforge that connection.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Adam, you uh, have conveyed to me a great deal of enthusiasm. You're in the pitch book, you've joined them. What inspired you? What, what is it that you see? What's the good? Because uh, I always see you doing things for the good. So what's the good in your allocation of your energy to be part of this partnership?
2: Well, thank you, Rob. Yeah, you know, I think fundamentally, uh, this really is about voice and an agency for people in, a, in, in society, if you will. And I think fundamentally, this speaks to um, furthering a democratic society, um, you know, as owners, you know, you know, if, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the opportunity to become a, a pub when you when a company becomes public, right? That the shareholder is part of the public, so there's the the collective um, that that are part owners, and I don't think there's ever been a time that, you know, the regulations, if you will, have really held the the public out. Um, so I see this as an opportunity and an innovation to really further um, that kind of relational engagement. And as we know, um, you know, uh, there have been many cases where corporate accountability has, you know shareholder activism has been very successful and it's been important you know one case was early on um, this is smithfield farms you know this is one of the largest pork producers this is back in the you know early 2000s um, they were there was a lot of environmental harm based on the runoff of just their their practices you know and their facilities so you know that th- those issues where you know there, there needs to be some kind of accountability, and it's in the best interest you know, of, of companies to really tend to uh, and serve um, the public, if you will. So I think just fundamentally that, that's, that's very true. It's very real.
0: I, I get the sense that uh, we may wanna create a variation on this where you can, uh, as a citizen, talk to your senator or talk to committees around the white house or the cabinet officers in aggregate. in other words a lot of people would say to me i don't get to talk to a senator i live in new york in new york i don't get to do that because they only talk to their donors. well that's like only talking to the institutional investors and here there's there's a pathway which might create a more honest aggregation about how people feel. In the case of a senator, they won't be surprised by losing their election because they didn't stay tuned to what people really cared about. Here in the case of companies, it's a tremendous asset for society. As I kind of use the metaphor, of being able to navigate through rough seas and know where people want to go is uh, I, I think that's is a that's a tremendous use of technology and people, you know, there's a there's a cynicism about technology, particularly as it has displaced physical work. People feel like they got shunted aside and no transformational assistance and they then demonize all forms of technology. We got to be discriminating and see there's a tremendous amount of good that the digital age can bring to bear. So I, I, I just, I see what you're doing is fantastic and, a, and as something that will have not only a big impact straight up the line that you're starting with, but will blossom in lots of directions. Uh, people will, will follow the paradigm that you've set in motion.
1: Well, Rob, I think that's uh, so interesting. Thank you for that. And, and the connection to the political side, I think is, um is very clear here. If, if you look at the, um, early, uh, the early age of corporations and stockholders, um, you know, shareholder meeting back in the 18th century was some shareholders in a room, right, and, and they would have a quorum and they'd raise their hand to vote on issues before the company, which is kind of like what you're describing, right? We want a direct connection uh, to, the, to the folks who are um, working on our behalf. And so we do want to. We see this platform as uh, profoundly empowering, and we want to sort of reforge that in a sense, right? Let's give voice back to the individual investor so they can, they can be heard at the corporate level. Um, and so you know, the, you know, I think Adam touched on it. Uh, voice and agency are really at the, the foundation of what we're trying to build.
0: I also think if if I were in the management, I would be. You mentioned the ESG agendas. I'd be saying, okay. I got to pay bonuses to all my employees. I got to keep my investors happy so they don't sell the stock. But there's all these side effects, environmental issues, and so forth. I'd really like to know to what extent they like my company better if I'm paying attention to those issues and not just to money and cash flow, because I think a lot of very well-intentioned investors are conflicted now. But they don't just get to demonize the management or, how do I say, sell the stock uh, because the management's misbehaving. There, there's a balance here. And what you're doing is you're, you're allowing, which you might call the subtlety of communication and the nuance to essentially represent what people really want. And uh, I, I know a lot of high level executives and CEOs that are really haunted right now about a lot of issues, not just environmental, but others related to diversity and other things. And how do they, how do they manage this? Getting quality feedback from their owners is a gift.
1: I think that's right. And I, um, you know, I was speaking with the uh, former CEO of a, a company that manufactures w- weapons. I won't mention his name. I don't want to embarrass him here. Uh, but, you know, he, he kind of um, mentioned exactly what you're describing. The companies are situated in this fabric of society. And when they act, there's these externalities, there's these effects on their neighbors. And that's just the way it is. You can't ignore that, right? They are part of the system. And they just need to but they don't have the information, the feedback to understand how their activities are influencing other people and how other people feel about that. So I think that's critically important to be able to get that information. And for you know the stakeholders, people who are affected by a company's actions, to be able to communicate it back. And, um, you know, I it it might make sense here to uh, bring up a, a really interesting survey from Stanford on this. Um, so there's a Stanford study. It's called the Survey of Investors, Retirement Savings, and ESG. And, um, and what it basically points at is that there's a large generational divide in opinions about this issue. So support for ESG varies widely. It's driven by age and stage of life. And so this really puts folks in the bind, right? If you're an asset manager and you're managing on behalf of a very diverse community of investors who might include, you know, boomers and Gen Z, how do you make a decision about how to manage those assets? They're, they're in a, It's almost a no-win situation because the Gen Z folks, they almost universally would like to... Um, uh, pursue environmental causes and these other sort of environmental social issues the older folks who are relying on these returns don't don't want to see that happen in general so it's a bind right and and the only it's and blackrock is experiencing it vanguard is experiencing it and this is why in the last 5 months or so the big asset managers have announced that they are passing through voting they want they want to they don't want to deal with this anymore and the only solution to this is to let the people be heard and that's really exactly what we're doing is just pass it through and let the investors be heard
0: mm. I think that's fascinating the uh, various dilemmas that people will feel based on their stage of life I hadn't I haven't integrated that in in my imagination to what we were talking about here but that's that's really quite. That's quite powerful. I, I guess there'd be another element I might, I might throw a little imagination in. When people are involved with elder care for their parents and grandparents and then their stockholders in the medical or pharmaceutical industry, I, I wonder how they deal with the rate of return versus the prices they're paying. Uh, In light of the very disappointing statistics, where in America the rough numbers are we pay twice per capita what the average is in the OECD, and we give the 37th best national health care below almost everyone in the OECD. And uh, America's always invigorated faith in the markets, like if you leave them alone, you let them innovate and be dynamic, you'll get more for lower cost. And it seems like it's going in the other direction now. So uh, I'd be interested in seeing how those tensions manifest in the language of of what you're offering for the companies that are dealing with the yin and yang of such issues. That's really interesting.
2: Well, well, I, I really appreciate you bringing up that point. And I'm, I'm reminded of the quote by Peter Drucker, right, that goes, culture eats strategy for breakfast. (laughs) And and I (laughs) do think that, yeah, I mean, the reality is, is that as people, um, you know, get informed and actually once they know they have a voice and there's agency, then that'll open up being informed. And, and also, you know, now with technology, we can be connected to tremendous amounts of information and, um, that's, you know, very accessible. So that's what's really powerful because there are, you know, these issues, there are many organizations that are doing a lot of important deep work and research and have understanding of that. And so that folks can, you know, be connected to that. So they can be informed, you know, and uh, and they can also feel good about having a voice. And it's not, you know, there's this, uh, well, Alex, you haven't touched on it yet, this whole idea of rational apathy where it's there's just, you know, it's, it's too hard of a, um, an ask, if you will, from an individual to do all of this research and have the understanding to vote your proxy. And, and so this technology, by being connected with others and, and also, um, you know, being aware of your own values and others, it, it will encourage participation. So
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's an exciting time. We can eat our Wheaties, as they, my dad used to say. Eat your Wheaties. <laughs> <laughs> eat your cultural <laughs> breakfast. That's right. good. I think somebody like Dr. Mark Hyman should do an ad for you guys because uh, uh, <laughs> he's always <laughs> thinking about broader dimensions of health and longevity. And uh, so it, I am I, um, aware from our previous calls and other things that, that you could show us a little bit of how your system works. Is that something that we uh, would like to do, you'd like to share with the audience here?
1: All right, happy to share uh, the Investor Portal. This is the Iconic Investor Portal and um, the core of our experience that we offer is centered around a feature we call VoteForge. Uh, so this in this page, in this series of micro uh, microadaptive surveys, we allow individuals Uh, to forge their own individualized, personalized proxy voting profile. And the process only takes uh, a few minutes. We have up to 16 different categories that span environmental, social, and governance issues. And to give you a sense of how this works, I'll go in and do uh, climate change. Uh, we start with the basic filtering question, right? We just want to uh, understand how, how folks feel about climate change. So we ask, should shareholders have a say on climate change issues? Um, we're not trying to put our, our thumb on the scale here. You can uh, answer however you want. Uh, if you answer no, we're going to kick you out of the survey because we, we know how you're going to vote. If you answer yes, we're going to go one step deeper into this decision tree here. Uh, and the goal, of course, always is to just continue to get higher fidelity on an individual's value set. So we're here in the second question, and, and this question is basically asking, do you want companies to make all possible efforts to limit their negative impacts on climate change? You know, are you kind of all in on this or do you, do you need to look at this on a case by case basis? Uh, so again, if you pick the first one, we know how you're going to vote on as all these issues manifest, and um, the survey's done. If you do the second, then we go in and we're going to start to ask you uh, more specific questions about climate change as it manifests in this space. Uh, so certain types of proposals that come up, informational reporting, uh, whether executive pay is linked to uh, progress on these issues, etc., and you know, we try to surface as yes, no, or skip. You don't have to weigh in on everything if you don't want to. When you're done with this process, we've been able to print out this nice investor archetype which describes uh, your profile I kind of almost think about it like a Meyer, Myers-Briggs uh, profile. This one is uh, weighs uh, high on a methodical approach. It's broad in that he considers almost every issue, it favors accountability and welfare over profit. So now we have a nice uh, customized personalized voting profile and uh, we can get to the voting. So the way that we work is that we arrange to re- receive a copy of these shareholder uh, uh, voting emails uh, in an automated fashion. So we're gonna receive a copy and when we receive a copy we can use our proprietary technology to auto vote it uh, in accordance with that personalized voting profile. So. This is an example of the Apple ballot. Uh, We have uh, nominations for the board of directors. You can notice Al Gore is in there. We have executive compensation. And then we have some really interesting shareholder proposals on civil rights, uh, communist China audit, racial and gender pay gaps. I'm showing this to you because a lot of people aren't aware that these uh, really interesting key issues are manifesting in the corporate context for stock that they own right and um just to give you a sense of how uh, our system works you can click on this little button here that says see why and that shows you why an auto uh, why we generated a vote for or against a particular ballot item so in this case can this i individual just say,
0: can has, i just ask you a question it, oh please if yeah. you've made that if you've made that profile with me yes and then you have this proxy ballot you it fills in automatically what you think from the survey i would do but do i have to check off and say i validate how you put it together or am i giving you the green light to do it based just on the survey
1: that's a great question so we have two flavors one where we can automatically submit and then notify and the notification will be basically, hey, we think that based on your profile, you wanted to vote this way and you can go in and make any changes you want uh, as long as it's ahead of the vote cutoff. So notify and then you can go in and make changes. Uh, the other way to do it is uh, to just not auto-submit and then you'll have to go in and, and you know submit it manually yourself. We, we just want to expose, it's whatever the speed of the investor is, right? Yeah,
0: but what We're I like, like about your doing... The pre-surveys is that if we get it right, your trust relationship with me builds, and then the amount of effort I have to allocate to stay in communication with my companies goes down, and that's another that's another dimension of the service you've provided here. I think is really interesting. That's a really interesting uh, how do you say luster that that you're. creating. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, the whole goal is to is take as much pain out of it as possible because you know, Rob, you, you and I probably know better than most. Uh, people just don't have time, right? You just don't, you know. And if you have fifty of these stocks, that's thousands of ballot items. People don't have time to do this, so we want to make it as easy as possible, and yes, and then right. we want to show. It's pe-
0: just like it's just like a presidential election when it rains, fewer people turn out. And, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, it, uh, it's so more inconvenient. You're, you're yeah. Making, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're making it more convenient, and the turnout's going to go up, and the quality of information and understanding is going to improve. That's really great.
1: We hope so, and 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 we want to show people how they're having an impact. I'll, I'll close this demo out in a second, but I did want to show you this because this is very important. Uh, after the uh, proxy is going through the system and, and maybe you've overridden some votes or it's just auto voting, either way, uh, we can show you how you're uh, having a voice and how that voice is manifesting. We can show you that um, you had 53 votes for diversity on the board. We can show you that you had two votes for proposals on improving workplace composition and retention. We can even show you your wins that because you answered a certain survey in a, in a certain way, you've helped pass a, a proposal on it. Uh, so we, we want to uh, sort of bridge that, you know, 360 degrees, right? We want to come back and show them how they're having that impact, um, important part of the experience.
0: Mm-hmm. This is really, this is really fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you showed us this, uh, how do I say, this deeper dive on what it's like to work with you and be a shareholder because i imagine if you if you're diversified in your portfolio and you own 40 stocks that's a nightmare to think i got to communicate 40 times but if you know what i care about and you can deploy it to all the proxy votes you're really uh, you're really raising my impact through your service that's really that's a brilliant brilliant creation
1: well uh yeah i think we can do one better i, I believe so we're uh, we're going to do this in uh, february stay tuned out there for a uh, mutual fund so now imagine you have an s p 500 mutual fund has 500 stocks in it we can crack that open and then use the same system to allow the fund managers to, to hear the voice of investors and we can do it with we can do it with any fund but that's a particular area that i think is um, gathered a lot of interest in the public sphere is hey, these asset managers have a lot of power they 've accumulated trillions of dollars of assets in these funds and and we really should be cracking them open and and giving that voice back to the investors
0: mm-hmm. fascinating fascinating and I saw from i remember your your pitch book that you would share with me that you have surveys on what i 'll be uh, call um uh, what would you call them? ESG mandated? I think was the phrase you used. Uh, that the proportion of assets that are going to become ESG mandated is going way up, and will will be not not too distant future crossing at least half of the total assets outstanding. So this is not a little boutique operation for three tenths of a percent of the market. It's it's becoming a uh, a concern and a practice that will be, well, I would say, pervasive in the market when you get up to more than half of the outstanding stock. I, be,
1: I believe so. The trends are pretty strong on this, and um, all the firms have recognized this. And this is being driven by investors that want this, right? The investors and the future of investing is it really has this sort of values alignment element to it, where people don't want to just invest purely for returns, right? The old kind of Milton Friedman version. They want to Uh, they want their investments to match their values to some degree, right? But that degree should be up to them, Uh, right? And the issues that they engage with should really be up to them. So uh, that's one challenge, I think, with the discussion around ESG today is that it it tends to be kind of one-flavored. And, uh, you know, everyone gets lumped in an ESG bucket. And so we we do want to start pulling that apart and so that individuals can have their their own
0: voices heard. Mm. Yeah, I think, um, and and like I get, uh, the phrase I would use is, you get to decide what externalities matter to you, and so your your total rate of return <coughs> is not just the financial rate of return, and so giving voice to that other dimension uh, would only coincide with what you called the Milton Friedman model when the company didn't do anything that you thought. potentially toxic side effects and uh, that's that's really interesting Uh, I I I guess the the other thought I had was I know that you're you're not just do-gooders you're a company and so you're gonna have owners and people should be proud to be stockholders or investors in your group because of the positive externality you're creating for society's functioning. But what kind of market is there? Like if you were giving me just a pure revenue plan, I'm taking the other side of the ledger now. What, what's the kind of scale that your service can reach so that you guys are making money and you can continue to update and evolve and so forth because you have the kind of retained earnings and cash flow?
1: I can speak generally about uh, our different revenue models. Um, So there's sort of four buckets. We serve financial advisors. So a financial advisor might have between 50 and 150 uh, uh, clients and their job really um, has sort of evolved from pure money management towards serving their clients and on an individualized basis, right? Personalization. And their ability to personalize at scale and to take into account their clients' values, is that's where the future's at. And I think that's what we help provide for advisors. Uh, we also serve funds I mentioned. And um, like I, I said before, I think funds are a bit challenged when it comes to what to do with the votes. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we work with funds on, a, on an AUM basis. Um, that'd be one other model we do, we do have a retail model so that just um, individuals out there, it's not live yet, but if you're just someone who uh, happens to own some stock and you want to use the service that you can pay a, a small monthly fee, I think we're starting at the $5 a month, uh, which will cover all the stocks that you own and so you could participate in the service that way. Uh, And then finally, uh, there's one other way uh, that we make money and uh, that'd be working with mutual funds and other funds that um, have some challenges right now achieving uh, quorum. So the notion there really is that uh, if you think the voting is bad for companies like you know, Coca-Cola or or Microsoft. Uh, it's really bad for the mutual funds. They they have a hard time getting the statutory uh, requirement you know required votes to actually pass things they need to pass. And so uh, our technology can can help them achieve that quorum.
0: Hmm. I was at a meeting the other day where somebody said, um, "What places like universities need to do is stop using fossil fuels." as opposed to just complaining about stock ownership of fossil fuels. Because if we keep using them, but we convince people to sell, then other people are getting a bargain for buying the fossil fuel companies. And what we got to do is change the demand for the underlying thing, and the earnings will reflect that diminished demand moving to. uh, But I, I find all of these issues now, are flowing through the financial markets. And what I sensed was it was very awkward, cumbersome and not well informed. And now I'm seeing your technology as a way of clarifying, deepening, and how do I say, invigorating people on both sides, both the investors and the management about what's really happening and what the real desires are. And uh, I, I just, uh, this is a really big and powerful potential to make a well, difference.
2: Rob, just just to build on that point, you know, if you think about, again, w- the way we live, and I would argue that, you know, we're moving towards sort of a, a knowledge economy. So for example, when you go out for a restaurant, how many, you know, you you look at reviews, right? And And you don't just look at the reviews of that product or service by the professionals, you actually have customer reviews. So in my opinion, that is the, you know, now we're living in an age where we are informed by others that we identify with, and that's meaningful. And so that information is essentially what's gonna occur when, you know, now you have 88% that aren't voting their shares, but as folks get involved, you know, that's material information. You know, I mean, because in terms of, if you're getting more information about the needs and concerns of consumers, um, that's really important in terms of governance and strategy for corporate management. Um, and so, you know, in a way, uh, the, the, dyna- the, the paradigm is shifting. So that, you know, corporate managers they, they don't really have to guess anymore. They could actually get some feedback about, you know, what is current and then plan for that. So I think that, I mean, you know, this is just better corporate governance. And, you know, now there's the term of corporate activism, which is really corporations getting ahead so they can be, you know, ahead of the game in terms of responding to um, what's needed and, and their own best, you know, management practices.
0: When I dream of myself. In years past being a hedge fund manager I'd be inclined to subscribe so I can see your metadata about what the trends are in the population because it'll affect my portfolio in the future so there are all kinds of different angles that the improved information uh, how would I say has value that's really interesting
1: I think so and some of these inefficient these informational inefficiencies played out in a very public way if um rob do you recall the uh engine number no. one campaign at exxon from a few years ago right so we had a big um campaign a uh proxy battle uh and exxon by some accounts spent something like i heard i read one account it was like a hundred million dollars to try to thwart Right to try to thwart uh, engine number one, which owned uh, two cents on every two hundred dollars of shares outstanding. Right, they had a tiny little investment, and they lost. They lost, you know, three board seats or however much it was. And you got to think that if the company had better data, if they if, if they could see that they were going to lose, they had better modeling. They understood this issue better that they wouldn't have spent a hundred million dollars of shareholder money. To, to try to uh, thwart that effort. And there would have been a, a more efficient solution that would have come to the center a little sooner. So I, I think, you, and that played out very publicly. That was embarrassing for the company, obviously. Uh, and so I, I think a lot of the same might hold true for a lot of other companies.
0: Mm hmm. Well, that's, this is fascinating. And uh, what, what's interesting, I had asked you the question about who might be your customers and your, you know, the generators of revenue. But I can't imagine that philanthropic institutions aren't going to want to find ways to enhance what you're doing or uh, for, fortify, maybe it's your R&D or whatever, to go in even further directions and dimensions. I think uh, while this is a kind of aha moment for me in seeing this, I can imagine people will evolve from here. And, and philanthropic-inspired uh, people who are often also big investors may, may envision new dimensions. And uh, I, I really think this is exciting. I, I think uh, we're, we're, we're in a world where everybody sees everything as being worse more polarized. And, and, and to see something that's bringing us together and making a win-win, it's quite. Inc- how do I say? It's. It's. My friend of mine, Robert Duggar, who used to work with Paul Tudor Jones, used to say the problem is we got to find a new North Star, and uh, and I sense that uh, you guys are astronomers, so uh, you're you're on the path. <laughs> what um, What's the process from here? Are you meeting with groups? Meeting with potential customers, trying to show people what kind of value add, Uh How How is it launching?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. Well, we're a, a classic, I guess you might say Silicon Valley startup, uh, full steam, you know, pedal to the metal ahead, building this technology out and having lots of conversations uh, with some of the big asset managers and some platforms that uh, have significant reach for financial advisors. And then also you mentioned some uh, uh, sort of nonprofit or more values aligned groups, um, also having conversations with them and they, you know, span the spectrum, right? In terms of what they're working on. And a lot of these groups, and I'm sure Adam might have a, he has a sort of uh, specific background in that area, uh, you know, groups who have used shareholder activism in this way. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of folks out there that they have specific issues that they want to make the companies aware of and they've organized around that. And it's a a strategy of theirs to try to accomplish change in this way. So we are working with folks who uh, early adopters who understand that and who have tried to do this before, but it's just hard to get out the vote or it's hard to assemble the coalition. It's hard to do it. So having an enabling technology is um, hopefully very helpful to them.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I would just say, you know, in, in the, you know, shareholder activism, this is really sort of the last mile, if you will, of that. There's a lot of work and resources that go into, you know, understand the issues and, and in, into that activism, if you will. But unless you have the votes and enough of a, you know, a collective, if you will, of a voice, it's not going to matter much to some corporate, depending on the issue, you know. So therefore, this will certainly significantly um, create efficiency to that. You know, you know, wherever we are in the issue, what's important is that um, there's more information, and so then both sides can be, you know, corporate governance, if you will. There can be more deci- decisiveness around how to be effective because we, you know, um, this is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it would be interesting to see how groups like rating agencies also react, uh, seeing the ramifications for what is emanating from your voter preferences and looking at the company's underlying structure and I'm quite curious how they will uh, ingest. This, this threshold change of information. And there are a few scholars that I've encountered and worked with. Andre Perry who works on issues related to racial discrimination, its impact on real estate prices and on many companies. And There's others who have made podcasts with and so forth uh, relating uh, to, to similar issues. I, I, I can see a whole lot of different pathways we're deploying The technology that you do enhances the information, but makes us all more conscious of what we're actually doing with our economy and with our world.
2: Well, well, Rob, and and then there is a a really important piece that came out of the Booth uh, Business School that, and Oliver Hart was one of the authors of it. But there is, it's an argument for, uh, the title of it is Protest Versus Divest, but protest really means engagement right? And it's not, it's not to step away and sell. Now, just on a, even on a democratic principle, if you will, that it really is about engagement. You know, it's about voting. It's about participating. And that is going to, that principle or value is about, you know, building a deeper fabric, if you will, of society. Because when we, when we, our voting or engaging, we're expressing our needs. And we all have needs. And if they're not respected or heard, then we, you know, we, we polarize, we pull away. So just fundamentally as human beings, we're relational. So that that is really, ultimately, it's bringing integrity to a system that was really marginal, marginalizing or oppressive. Right. So democracy is to to give that opportunity. So that's where I think that bigger picture. This is a very powerful, um, if you will, you know, application uh, where we can be more engaged and informed in society.
0: Mm -hmm. Alex, you started this session off with talking about an experience you had that created a kind of aha moment and then you started to build. I'm curious if, how would I say, the aha moments are a dynamic process. Are you still kind of in awe of what's unfolding (laughs) since the starting game?
1: Uh, Okay, it's, it's gonna, we're gonna have to, to dive into that. So I've heard the act of running described as controlled falling. And I think that's how I describe uh, this startup experience. Uh, I mean, we, we so I'm very aware we have to be extremely nimble. We want to take in as much feedback as possible. We've already had a major pivot. Uh, the first version of this was... Um, a trading app i mentioned i started with Robinhood, so that was my experience so i thought okay let's do a, a trading app for retail and we're going to do special voting uh features and, and that was the very initial implementation and uh what we found was that was uh, a bit challenged and that uh it is hard to get folks to uh to buy or transfer in stock based on a campaign that's a bit challenging right especially if it's a campaign on an issue they uh care deeply about, maybe it's climate change or something like that, and you're asking them, hey, buy some Exxon to have a voice at Exxon. And so we, we, we ended up, we had to think really hard about that and um, there were some technical breakthroughs. Uh, we were back to the drawing board and that's how we came up with the current iteration, which is we're just gonna help you vote what you got, which is the easiest version, right? And let's just separate the process of building portfolios and doing all the stock picking from having a voice. Um, so yeah we've we, we need to be nimble to survive I think it's a classic startup adage and uh, it's very much at the center of our approach here
0: yeah to me it feels like jazz music you're improvising every time you hear somebody else play a solo and <laughs> that's good that's really good stuff but it, it must be it just must be exciting to feel this blossoming like it is I mean I'm excited just learning about it and uh, that deeper sense of purpose that comes from being the people who made it is uh, uh, how I say an even d- more fulfilling sense of satisfaction. I would imagine, but um, I uh, how would I say doing good and doing well at the same time is a pretty nice mix. The uh, what's uh, I I I always hear everything in songs, and as I've been listening to Marvin Gaye's going back at me we got to find a way to bring some understanding here today. I just did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's uh, from uh, what's love, going on. Lo- love and, me some
1: gay Yeah, yeah. Well, I, thank you so much for that. I mean, actually, I kind of live for the a uh, little bit of validation from people like you who have thought deeply about these issues. So it, it's it's very helpful to get that. And uh, you know, some people who are doing this work might consider themselves afflicted with this like burning need to build new things, but uh, you know, punctuated by little successes over time. And um, if we're able to inspire and empower, then you know, that's
0: that's what we live for, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, gentlemen. Adam, that's, any final thoughts here? You. I just, well,
2: thank you. It's such an honor to to be able to. here and talk about these, well, important, these are big, big issues and we're, and we're an incredible time. And I just love, you know, just building off of Marvin Gaye and some of the lyrics, but I mean, this is an opportunity for people to really show up. And when we show up in our lives more and engage more, things get better, you know, they, they just do. And, um, so I've always, you know, as, as again, as we have more opportunity to be more connected to ourselves and and others, it just it just feels better to be alive as a human being, especially in the era of the the technology that's coming our way uh, with AI and all of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, we still have each other, and that that no, nothing can replace that, and that's really important. And because there's a lot of, uh, yeah, we these are incredible times. So the more we can be connected, I think, is really um, uh, an important piece of resilience and and important for the human spirit as well. Yeah alex
0: final thoughts
1: uh do we get a marvin gay outro music i would love that <laughs> I, I got
0: i got a couple of <laughs> habits in my hat yeah <laughs> uh,
1: uh just thank you so much it's been a great pleasure being here and thank you for inviting me on i i really enjoyed uh talking with you today
0: great well the story i'll tell because i was the producer of the film amazing grace that aretha franklin uh made a live concert in the early 1970s in Los Angeles and with the help of digital the fact that the three cameras and the sound were not synced was changed and we were able to release the film but the opening song is Marvin Gaye and it's called Holy Holy Aretha modified the lyrics a little bit but she said, essentially, holy, holy, we've got to believe in each other's dreams. And I think that the dream that you had and it's being realized is a great source of, in, of inspiration. And I have 20,000 people in the Young Scholars Initiative who can feel that the world's been off course and they're trying to find their North Star. I'm excited that I got to be with you two today to create something that I can show them. I think this is a very, very positive development. And thank you both for taking the time and sharing with me and sharing with the iNet community. It's
1: thank been you. a pleasure. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Keep, keep me posted. We'll, we'll do some updates. I'm sure there are more <laughs> chapters to come. We'll do. <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. Guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. And check out more from the Institute for New Economic Thinking at ineteconomics.org.
2: And I'll tell it and speak it and think it and breathe it. And reflect from the mountains so all souls can see it. And I'll stand on the ocean until I start sinking. And I'll know my song well before I start singing